your sins. But verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And that's our hope this morning. Uh, our confidence is that Christ is risen, and therefore we are risen. We, he has conquered death, and so death no longer has uh, rule over us. And so uh, it's great to celebrate. Of course, as believers, every day is, is Easter for us. We celebrate the resurrection every day. Uh, but today is special. For our Holy Week devotionals, we've been looking through the life of Jesus, and we've been, we've been moving toward Friday and the crucifixion, and then, of course, Sunday and the resurrection. Uh, so I pray that you are encouraged this morning as we sing of the resurrection, as we read the scriptures and we study together about what Christ has done, and that together with all of that, as the Spirit works, He would encourage our hearts, He would strengthen our faith, and He would turn our eyes heavenly. So let me open us up in a word of prayer, and then we'll join in singing. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful this morning on this special day for the resurrection of Jesus, that we have a hope, not just a dead hope, but a living hope, a living hope in a living Savior. And we rejoice this morning that the tomb is empty, and we rejoice that Christ is on his throne, and he will one day return for his church. So Father, as we gather uh, virtually in a, in a difficult time, in an unusual time, we pray that your Spirit would continue to be at work amongst us, um, opening our eyes to see new things in the Scriptures. Perhaps someone will tune into this live stream who doesn't truly know you, and that this might be the morning that, uh, that Christ is um, made real for them, uh, that the Spirit opens their eyes to see the truth of the Gospel. And for those that are believers, as we gather and we listen and we sing and we study, uh, we ask that you would strengthen us, that you would remind us of this glorious truth May it never be um, just normal. May it never just be another doctrine that we know, but may it always be fresh and vibrant in our hearts and always a source of joy and confidence and rejoicing. So hear our praise, hear our prayers, and hear our worship this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Scheme of hell, no scoffer's crown. 
continue singing, I want us to attempt a new song together, uh, virtually of course. Uh, this is called Christ Our Hope in Life and Death, and so um, Resurrection Sunday as we celebrate the life of Christ, uh, but even as we think about the times we live in where death seems all around and, and closer even than normal, it's always Christ is our hope in life and in death. So let's sing this together. What is our hope? In life and death, Christ alone, Christ alone, what is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong? Who holds our days within His hand? What comes apart from His command? And what will keep us to? The love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. truth can calm, what truth can calm the troubled soul, God is good, God is good, where is his grace and goodness known, in our great Redeemer's blood, who holds our faith when fears arise, who stands above the stormy trial. Who sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock of Christ? To the grave, unto the grave, 
what shall we sing? Christ, He lives, Christ, He lives, and what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with Him, there we will rise to meet the Lord, then sin and death will be destroyed, and we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, Christ in ever we confess. Christ our hope and life and morning church. It's a joy to be able to worship together today on Resurrection Sunday. It's one of uh, the most exciting days for me, uh, even though every Sunday we celebrate the hope and the resurrection of Christ. It's a unique time of faith and celebration for the Christian community. And as we, uh, as we, be, as we come to the text of Scripture today, before we read, I want to lead us in a prayer of, uh, of thanksgiving and of so follow along. Uh, well, before I read, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness toward us. We thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. And we thank you this morning, most, most of all, for the hope of resurrection that we have in Christ our Savior. Thank you, Jesus, that you rose from the grave and that you have saved us and you've given us hope eternal. And now this morning as we turn to your word to celebrate, God, hear, hear our prayer for those who are in our lives who don't know you, who don't have a relationship with you. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would, um, that you would open their eyes to the truth of your word open their ears to hear, their hearts to love Your Word. And I pray, God, that You would use us to minister to them. Use us, O oh Lord, to speak, um, to speak into their lives, to share the, the hope of, of, of eternal life that You have given us and the hope of resurrection. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that You would fill us with Your Holy Spirit today. Anoint my lips as I preach Your Word. Anoint our ears and our hearts as we hear and listen and oh God, be exalted in our midst. Though we are not gathered, be exalted in the life of your people as we listen today. And as people all across the globe listen to the hope of your gospel, anoint those who preach your word to preach boldly and truthfully. For it's in Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. As we turn to Luke chapter 24, the title of the message today is The Hope of Resurrection. And so I, I want to read from verses 1 through 12, which is uh, the very account of Christ's resurrection in Luke's gospel, and then also read verses 36 through 53. So we'll skip over the whole Emmaus Road section, uh, but we will talk about it this morning. So follow along where you're at and, uh, and listen as I read from Scripture. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale And they did not believe them, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what what had happened. Fast forward to verse 36. The disciples in verses 13 through 35 have had an encounter with Jesus unknowingly until he reveals himself. Uh, in the breaking of bread to them, and so they run to tell the others. And in verse 36, that's what we find happening. As they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is, I myself, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things." And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. And, but, but stay in the city and you, until you are clothed from, with power from on high. Verse 50, then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually In the temple, blessing God. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word this morning. The other day, my family and I, we watched a National Geographic documentary 
on the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And it, it was an interesting documentary because the, the edifice that was built around the tomb, it was built by Constantine, it was crumbling. And so there are three congregations, if you're familiar with the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, three congregations that meet in the church, and they can never come to an agreement on how to do anything. But finally, they came to an agreement on contracting a group to come in and to renovate the building and to shore up its crumbling columns. So in order to do this, they had to open up the tomb. Uh, Something, though, something about opening up the tomb was really challenging for them. They had never opened up the tomb, and of course there is this unspoken question implicitly, but it's obvious, are we going to find the tomb empty, right? That's the unspoken question. At least that's the question that was painted by the documentary. And so opening up the tomb was something they had never done before. But you know, it's, it's debatable if the site, if that particular site really was the burial cave of Christ if it really was the place where Christ's body was placed. There's a second possibility. It's called the garden tomb. But the reality is we don't know which one of these two sites served as the actual burial burial spot of Christ's body, if one of them were, in fact, the site at all. But if we knew, if we knew, would it make a difference? There's a reason that we don't know and can't know. Jesus didn't remain in the tomb. That's the reality. He is risen. He's risen in bodily form. And because He is risen, we, the church, we celebrate today. And so the the thesis I want to drive home this morning is the church didn't create the resurrection. The resurrection created the church. The church didn't create the resurrection. The resurrection created the church. So this morning we, we tune into this broadcast as a triumphant people. We know the end of the story. The darkness of Good Friday has been eclipsed by the glory of the risen sun. And so I want us to see this morning God's unfolding plan of redemption. It continues through the church today. And we see this first in verses 1 through 12. The empty tomb marks a new beginning. The empty tomb marks a new beginning because the empty tomb points us to Christ's resurrection. We can't help but identify with the women as confusion sets in. Verse 4 tells us they were perplexed about this. They see the empty tomb. Doubt and disbelief surface when they approach the empty tomb. Despite what Christ has told them regarding His death, His burial, and His resurrection, their emotions of despair in the face of death have blinded them from believing. They think even Jesus has been defeated. And in Luke 5-56, it records that they prepared spices and perfumes and to, to pour over His body. And they were on their way to the tomb on the first day of the week. They were heading to prepare His body. You know, we, we can kind of armchair quarterback and think they should have known that He wouldn't be there. But you know, too often like us, they were consumed with grief. The grief of His death. And unable to see through the fog of troubled emotions. For everyone who's lost someone they love. This text gives us incredible hope. In verses 5-7, through seven, the angels make this proclamation. They say, He is risen. And it shocks the women. They ask, 
Why do you seek the living among the dead? In verse 5. They didn't expect this. He is not here. He is risen. Verses 6 and 7. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? God's divine plan of redemption has the curse of death. The curse of death has been put down. Hallelujah! Christ has risen. So after remembering these words, they go and they report to the eleven and the others. But notice the response of the others in verse 11. These words seemed like an idle tale and they did not believe them. We see in these women and in the disciples an example that speaks to our human condition. Emotions easily influence our faith. It reminds us of the fragile nature of our own faith. And it it even offers us a fitting challenge. When life delivers striking blows, our faith must remain focused on the person and the work of Christ and in accordance with the authority of Christ's Word. Christ's resurrection gives us hope. It gives us hope that death is not the end. For all who have fallen asleep in Christ, death is not the end. Christ's resurrection gives us new hope and a new beginning. So in verse 12, Peter runs to the tomb and to Peter's amazement, to his amazement, the tomb is empty. And so while death threatens our hope, the empty tomb restores hope. Perhaps Peter wonders, what is God doing as he arrives there and sees the empty tomb? He he marvels trying to understand what's happened. He's astonished at the sight that's before his eyes. He almost can't believe it. He can't can't escape what his eyes have taken in, what he's seen. And it sticks with him as he leaves the tomb and he returns home. He's thinking, has God fulfilled the promise of Christ's resurrection? Is Jesus alive? We've seen Him raised from the grave. Has God never raised Jesus from the grave? Is Jesus truly resurrected? As we come to resurrection morning, the truth of resurrection confronts us. And we too are, are faced with a moment of reflection and a moment of, of decision, a moment of faith. The tomb is empty. And for some of us listening today, it's a joyful celebration because faith is already yours. But for others, you're not certain. Maybe your reflection will go on for some time today or reflection will go on for this week or even maybe for another month or so. But my prayer is that God will quicken your heart to believe in the truth of Christ's resurrection. Because if Christ truly was resurrected from the grave, as we've read in Scripture this morning from 1 Corinthians 15, from, from Luke chapter 24, if He truly was resurrected from the grave, this means that Christ has authority over even death. And He certainly has authority over our lives. And I would ask, what then are the implications for your life if Christ is the one who has authority over even death? The empty tomb points to Christ's resurrection and restores hope in the face of death. Well, in the second scene, we see the the road to Emmaus is about seeing Jesus for who He is in verses 13, and we'll go all the way through verse 43 for this point, and kind of narrate some in the text. 
It's where Jesus meets His disciples as they're going about life. And Jesus comes to them, and when He comes to them, He removes the blinders so that they can see. The Emmaus Road for the disciples parallels our faith journey, our life journey really, and our faith in Christ. And so I want to point out two assurances from verses 13 through 43 for us to consider. On this road of revelation we have this hope that Christ is present with us even in the most difficult days. That's what's going on for the disciples, right? I mean, these are difficult days. But we see Christ coming alongside of them. Two disciples are walking along the road to Emmaus. If you see there in verse 13, they're having a discussion about what's happened concerning Christ's death. And Jesus comes alongside of them and He begins speaking with them in verses 15 through 17. We've already noted that Jesus' crucifixion has brought the disciples great pain and great confusion. And so now we're told in verse 16 that they were actually kept from recognizing Him as He came up as they were having this conversation. He was in their midst, but they didn't even know that it was Him. The events of the previous days testing for the disciples were weighing heavy. But it was also revealing something about their true belief, wasn't it? Isn't this how trials work? They reveal the character of our true belief. In moments of testing, the character of our true belief is revealed. What was their true belief about Christ? It becomes evident as we read the passage, doesn't it? As the discussion unfolds, we see in verse 19, they said, Jesus was a mighty prophet indeed in word and sight of God and the people. What's missing from that statement? He was the Messiah. Verse 21, but we were hoping, we were hoping that it was He who's going to redeem Israel, right? They had misunderstood Christ's divine mission. Their idea of Christ redeeming Israel, listen, it was too small for what God was doing. They were fixated on the now, on the immediate, but God in Christ was doing something much bigger, much more grand. He was redeeming the world. He was redefining their understanding of redemption. It's in this moment that I have to ask a few questions of myself and of us. Are there areas where we have missed God doing a great work because our expectation is too small? Are we blind to God's redemptive work in the world around us? Are we blind to God's redemptive work in the lives of our children or in our neighbors or in the midst of COVID-19? Are we so fixated on our own comforts and situations that we fail to tune in to God's work in the world and God's work through the church? It's also important to note that Christ takes them to His Word, right? In verses 25 through 27, Our assurance must rest on the authority of of God's Word. Look at what he says. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have said to you. Look at verse 26. Christ's suffering through crucifixion was the necessary path to glory for Him to to walk this road. Verse 27, it says, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. But in all of this, we can see with hindsight what the disciples could not see with foresight. They needed the presence of the Holy Spirit 
to discern the spiritual truths of God's word. Listen, we can't come to God's word trusting in our own intellectual ability to see what only can be seen through spiritual eyes. Just as Jesus interpreted the scriptures to them, so we need the Holy Spirit to interpret the scriptures to us. Friends, God's holy word is of primary importance in our Christward living. Scripture is authoritative for our lives. Scripture instructs our faith. But not only does Jesus take them to His Word, listen, Christ grounds them in the hope of the Gospel. Look at verses 30-35. through 35. In verses 30 and 31, Jesus sits at the table with these two disciples as they've been going on this road traveling to Emmaus. And He took bread and He blessed it and He broke it and He gave it to them. And at that moment, their eyes were open and they recognized Him. It's no mistake that the disciples recognized Christ in the ordinance that he established for them just before he was crucified. He said, do this in remembrance of me. One commentator writes, he says, this is the way that that he is known in the community of the resurrection. When believers gather around the table, they know him as the center of their fellowship and the essence of their being. When his body was brought forth from the grave, His body, the church, was also given life. I love that statement. When His body was brought forth from the grave, His body, the church, was also given life. Brothers and sisters, Jesus instituted the ordinance of the Lord's Supper for the church, calling us to unified, confessional, Christ-centered living. And in it, we we remember Christ's atoning sacrifice. We celebrate the new... We rejoice that we are one in Christ and we look forward to the day when we'll be able to partake of this meal together with Him in eternity. We may, we may come to the table as those who are weak and perplexed and saddened like the disciples. But at the table, listen, we meet the triumphant hope of the Gospel. The good news that Jesus triumphed over death. Oh, how I look forward to celebrating and and sharing this meal together when we spend eternity in the presence of Christ. And oh, how I look forward to sharing this fellowship meal with you when once again we can gather together and celebrate the Lord's Supper. So we see that Christ is, is present with us even in the most difficult days. And then there's the second assurance on the road to Revelation that we see here. Christ shows Himself faithful in our greatest time of need. We've moved past the Emmaus Road, verses 36 through 43. We see this in this section of Scripture that He appears to the disciples as they're all gathered together and He speaks a word of peace. I would say this is exactly what Christ came to do. And and we need need the peace of Christ during these days. He asked them some questions. Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Fitting question for us to ask today. Christ offers them physical proof. I'm real, I'm here. He says, touch me and see my resurrected body. Give me a piece of broiled fish to eat. I'll eat it. So Christ offers proof of His physical bodily resurrection. He's saying, I'm not just a spirit. I'm really here. I have defeated death. This makes me mindful of 
Hebrews and the writer and how he speaks of Christ as our great high priest meeting us in our greatest time of need because he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses in Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16. And because Christ sympathizes with us in our weaknesses and has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin, verse 16 says, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We need Christ guiding us. We need Christ holding on to our salvation. And in the third scene, we see that following Jesus is not blind faith, but following Jesus' purposeful living. Verses 44 through 46. Listen, when we submit our unbelief to the truth of Scripture, our faith increases. Jesus opened their minds to understand. The scripture. Do you see it there in verse 44? He says, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, telling them of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. They all pointed to Christ. And so what did he do? He interpreted God's holy word to the disciples. And he showed them how it all pointed to his redemptive plan. The Bible isn't simply a collection of disconnected individual stories. If we survey the Scripture as a whole, we see that that it's one great story of redemption from the opening scenes in Genesis to the closing chapter of Revelation. The Bible is the overarching story God has been doing to rescue and restore fallen humanity. And just as Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scripture, this is what the Holy Spirit does for all who are in Christ. Look at verse 14. Behold, I'm sending the promise of My Father upon you. And He tells them, stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. That power from on high is the Holy Spirit whom God is giving to His people. So the Holy Spirit renews our minds by revealing the truth of God's Word to us. And so I say that our faith is not a blind faith, it's an informed faith. One where God by the Holy Spirit teaches us and leads us to know His truth. The Word given to them is the Word given to us. God has preserved and provided His Word that His people, we might know Him. But not only the word given to them is the word given to us, the commission given to them is also the commission given to us. Listen, when we surrender our lives to Christ, He calls us to follow Him into His mission. Verses 46-49 through show us this. By what authority? By what authority can He call us to serve Him? Verse 46, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead by resurrection authority. This is the authority of Christ. And as gospel-believing Christians, we joyfully mission, proclaiming repentance and and forgiveness of sin to all nations, beginning from here in Baton Rouge and from Prairieville and from uh, from Central and from Walker and from Livingston Parish, from, from all over to the nations. This means proclaiming the gospel of Christ, the hope of resurrection. It is a uniquely Christian calling. Think about what Paul said in Romans 10, 14. How then when they call on Him in whom they have not believed? 
And how will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Look at what he says in verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. He tells the disciples, now you see me. I've walked through death. And I've come out of the grave on the other side. And here I am. I am here. And you are witnesses of these things. And so I would say to us, if not us, then who? You're witnesses of these things, church. Proclaiming the gospel of Christ, the hope of resurrection, it is an imperative Christian responsibility. If not us, then who? As gospel-professing Christians, we must depend on the Holy Spirit to carry out Christ's commission. This is why He says, wait, wait until you're clothed with power from on high. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit's power. But wait, God is sending the Spirit. And I would say to us, God has equipped every believer with everything we need to carry out this incredible message of hope. Christ is risen. The fourth and final scene, Christ's resurrection and ascension secures our hope. Verses 50 through 53, because Christ has risen and ascended to the Father, we too are able to go to the Father. Look at verse 52. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. A faith that rests in Christ's work is a faith that's filled with joy. And when we truly believe, in Christ and what He has done being raised from the grave, praising Him will be our greatest all-consuming desire. This is what the church ought to be doing, being filled with joy, praising Him and living a life that's been transformed, proclaiming this message because you are witnesses of these things. Because of Christ's crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, we have hope. We have a message to tell the nations. He is alive. The grave could not hold Him. Satan, our foe, is vanquished. And King Jesus sovereignly and eternally rules. He reigns. He is exalted. God's unfolding plan through Christ's resurrection is still unfolding today through the church. Because we are witnesses of these things. The church didn't create the resurrection. The resurrection created the church. And because of Christ's resurrection, we have a new beginning. A brand new beginning. We have a hope that is beyond death. We have a hope that is beyond this life. We have a hope that there's purpose for us to live. Maybe this morning you've recognized that you've been on your own Emmaus Road journey in one way or another. And God, through His Word, by the power of His Holy Spirit, is making His Gospel known to you for the first time in a clear way. I want to invite you, if you have never surrendered your life to Christ, would today be the day of a new beginning? Would you confess your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Surrender to Him. Seek forgiveness of your sin. Repent. Turn from it. And entrust your life to the sovereign creator, the one who has defeated death, conquered death on your behalf. Believer, are you carrying out God's commission? Are you proclaiming repentance and forgiveness of sin?
Are you depending on the Holy Spirit to live out this imperative Christian calling? If not you, then who? If not us, church, then who? What have we to be ashamed of? Christ has risen from the dead and gloriously ascended to the Father. Let us live in the hope and the delight of resurrection. For Christ, our advocate, our Savior, He has conquered death. He is risen indeed. Resurrection hope is for all nations. So like the angels proclaimed on the night of the Incarnation, glory to God in the highest. And may His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we delight in the joy of our Savior Christ who conquered death, defeated Satan, rose victoriously, and has extended to us the invitation to enter the eternal abode of of Your presence. Father, thank You for the hope of resurrection. Thank You, Jesus, that You have saved us And thank you that we can have eternal security because you ascended to the Father. You rose from the grave. We know that that we have eternal security. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us even when we fail you. And thank you for being faithful to us. Strengthen us now, Lord, to live out the hope of this calling that you have given us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
church for gathering with us today to rejoice in the hope of the resurrection. I want to close with the doxology this morning. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Let me leave you where we started, and that is Christ is risen, and he is risen indeed. Amen.